This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 200. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm joined by my compadre, Jacob Paulson. Yo, what's up, man? <laughs> Yo, what's up, dog? <laughs> I didn't know we'd moved to the ghetto all of a sudden, but hey. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys and gals, uh, we are sitting here today recording episode number 200 of the Concealed Carry Podcast. And some of you have been with us throughout the, the whole way. And I, I get chills up and down my back just thinking about that. Yeah, it's, uh, there's nothing we can say that is a strong enough thank you for being along with us and also for telling people about us and, and for, for all the things that you've done to support us for buying products on our site and visiting websites of our sponsors. Uh, obviously, this is a, a project of ours that takes time and energy and work, and we're grateful to uh, be in a business where we've somehow found a way to make this work. And mostly the reason it works is because of you. And we're very grateful for you being along for the ride. 200 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's unreal. Uh, you know, we started this just, I think I came to you and I was like, Hey man, like we should do a podcast. And you're like, uh, what? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> I don't know. Like, I just feel like doing it. And, uh, you know, we got it off the ground and, and expectations. I mean, we, we, we had no expectations. We didn't know what it would, what it would turn into. But here we are, two years later, 200 episodes later, uh, over a million downloads, uh, well above that. I, I don't divulge the exact number, but it's been many, many, many million, well, not many, 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 million, but a lot of downloads. Thank you all that have been part of this, um, that have supported us through the way. Um, and even thank you to those that have disagreed with or disliked us along the way, because I still appreciate you. And uh, even, you know, whether it was even sometimes the negative and what I think is unwarranted negative feedback, you know, that just was unreasonable. You know what? It, it pumped us, pumped me up, you know, in, in, in a positive way, like, okay, all right. Well, you know what? Either we got to do things better or sometimes people just are jerks, <laughs> you know, and you pick up the pieces and you move on. And if you stick with it, here you are, two years, 200 episodes and a lot of many, 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 many thousands of downloads later. Uh, so you ready you. for a hard question, Riley? Yeah. You told me you're going to give me a hard question. I I'm, I'm kind of nervous, but now you have you... less, you have less than 20 seconds to answer. Okay. So that prevents too much thinking. You got to go off the cuff yep. on this. You yep. ready? Yep. All right. I need your favorite episode ever so far. Favorite episode is this one today. Wow. That was bold. Okay. Today's now, now, now hold on, hold on. This interview, I, I can't stress enough. This interview that we are about to play back with Alicia and Derek, uh, is the most, uh, incredible interview I've done yet. And that's saying a lot, uh, because we've interviewed some ma amazing people. Now I, I don't mean to diminish any of those other interviews that we've done. Uh, but, uh, this one just, I mean, I, I haven't sat in that position and had like the chills just going up and down my spine as I'm talking with two people that were on the ground that saw and heard the gunshots, saw people falling, 
saw people getting shot and they didn't freak out. They, you know, and there wasn't a whole lot they could do other than one, help people escape and get to a place of safety and two, step in and help where they could. Uh, and it, it is, uh, you know, and it's fresh in the memory. So th- this, this one today is, is a, it, it's definitely right up there with the top. I still call it a cop out. Now here's a harder question though. Sure. Your least favorite episode, 10 seconds, go. Number one. <laughs> really? <laughs> episode number one? Yeah, totally. Because I mean, uh, uh, yeah, like there's, there's been times where I've considered deleting like a number of the earlier episodes of the podcast. I'm like, man, like I'd like to think that we've improved and that we do things a lot better than we once did. Um, it's hard for me to go back and listen to, actually, it's hard for me to go listen to any of my episodes because <laughs> it's hard to listen to myself talk. But uh, number one, or, I I, I know I kind of pull it out in all honesty, probably number two would be my, my least favorite. Cause actually I, I just didn't think that that episode was all that great to be honest with you. I mean, you and I were sitting there. We're like, what should we talk about? And we had just gotten back from shot show 2016 and, uh, and, and there'd been some smart, you know, technology and stuff that we, you know, like there was that, that one identical lock, I think it's mm-hmm. called. And, and we yep. were not that impressed with it. And so we, we did this episode about smart gun technology and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just early on and, you know, we, we were noobs. So, you know, I, that's, that's my least favorite. All right. Well, I won't take any offense since both the ideas for episode one and two were mine. Um, <laughs> I, of course you weren't going to say your least favorite episode was one that was your idea. Like that's not going to happen. So I wasn't even, th- dude, I don't, you know, after doing 200 of these things, I honestly can't remember sometimes who came up with what or who even did what or who did, you know, like, and, and people too probably expect me to remember certain things. They're like, well, you remember when you guys talked about this or that? I'm like, ah, <laughs> I've done this 200 times. <laughs> yeah. And you are the uh, omnipresent uh, podcast host. How about that for crazy that Riley, you have been on every single episode. That's pretty amazing. Well, uh, Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be some continuity. <laughs> I guess. You know, it's been tempting to, you know, disappear for an episode or two and, you know, and have a guest host or have you just take over or something. But uh, at the end of the day, it's like, ah, uh, you know, I, I, I can make it happen. But I will say there's definitely been times where, you know it, and I'm sure you've felt the same way many times where there's been days where you're just like, man, I just don't really want to do the podcast today, you know? <laughs> or you just can't. You're just like, you know, we, how many times have we had to record at like, you know, 11 PM or <laughs> midnight or, yeah. you know, well, you know, I mean, there's lots of podcasts out there and I, I know like, okay, so by the way, we have a, we have a survey going on right now, right? So this is the perfect opportunity to bring that up. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway, 200 G-I-V-E-A-W-A-Y, concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway. And yes, I said survey. Because that's that's what we're asking you to do. Please complete like this brief 60-second. Actually, somebody told me it took them two minutes. All right, two-minute-long survey. Please complete that for an opportunity to win one of five amazing great prizes that we are giving away as a thank you and a celebration of our 200th episode, right? So we've seen a couple, you know, we've seen some results come in. And there was a comment about, what's your guys' release schedule with the podcast? 
I know that's a tough one. And frankly, guys, when there's many podcasts out there, I would say most podcasts don't actually accomplish the consistency of releasing, whether it's one, if, if they decide they're doing one episode a week or two a week or whatever it is, most do not actually, are not actually able to, to, to do that, that consistently do a one episode a week, every week for two years. We've done nearly two episodes per week for two years. And, and you know what? So I appreciate you all for being patient for those times where things get released later than we intend. And, and it's not always released consistently. Um, but we've hit that where we've done two a week, every week for two, for almost two years. And then I say almost because we, we did the first 10 episodes were one a week and then we moved to two a week. And so, um, that's been a labor of love <laughs> and we'd love to release more consistently. And we have Matthew now who is on board as producer that we, we just had a, a chat with him earlier today as he's talking about trying to get things more consistent. Um, having an additional help should make that possible, but we've, we have been consistent as far as there's always been two episodes every week. <laughs> for two years. Holy crap. So yeah, here we are again. Uh, this episode was supposed to be recorded yesterday. Uh, but, uh, uh, I had a, a fellow in my church pass away and I needed to be there to assist, uh, with things relating to that. I had things going on today. So those of you viewing on, live on Facebook, I'm, I'm in my suit. I haven't even had a chance to, to change or do anything straight back to work committed to the podcast. <laughs> so it's a labor of love, as you said. So for those of you who have not yet taken the survey and entered the giveaway, because we're hitting this mile mark, we are doing a big giveaway. There's lots of prizes. We're giving away, well, there'll be five winners in total. One winner will get a year membership to Guardian Nation, and that will include all the, the gear boxes. So that person is going to get at least $461.40 worth of gear shipped to them over the next 12 months. Um, another winner is going to get a quarterly subscription to Guardian Nation, so they'll get at least one gear box plus all the other uh, benefits of being a member. And uh, we'll have a live fire uh, drill kit, or I don't know what we're calling it, the live fire kit. It's like a mantis axe, and I think there's some targets, and I already yeah, forgot what Live fire drill cards. Uh, live fire drill card book. Yep, that's right. And a pair and of ammo ears, ear, ear ammo protectors. Ears. They're, they're just, they're really cool. They're, they're, they're awesome. awesome. I have some around here somewhere. And then we have a dry fire kit that somebody's going to win. They're going to get, I can't remember now, the Glocky trainer yep. and... Cert. Cert pistol and a laser uh, cartridge insert. Yep. So that's pretty cool. And then there's yep. a fifth prize. I already forgot what it was, but I'm sure it's and, awesome. And keep in mind, by the way, that dry fire kit will allow you with the with the Glocky trainer to do uh, unlimited, you know, trigger manipulations and, and various dry fire drills with uh, a Glock pistol. Uh, and and I think Jacob, we can probably ask the winner of that particular kit which model of Glock they would prefer. Uh, because we now have the type ones, twos, and threes. I think the only model of Glock we can't support right now with the Glocky trainer is the Glock 36, and uh, which is a, kind of an oddball because it doesn't have quite the. It doesn't have the. It's got an odd uh, serration. Uh, thing. No, it's the. Oh, that's true. We got the fish scales we can't su su support with the uh, Glocky trainer. But I'm, I'm talking about the thickness of the slide. The Glock 36 oh, is, sure. is an oddball. Sure. So we got, you know, whether it's Glock 42, 43, or any of the other models other than Glock 36 or any of the ones with the fish scale serrations. So yeah, we got that cert pistol, laser insert. I mean, you could do all these different dry fire drills with that. That's why it's the dry fire kit. So cool stuff there. GPS outdoor handgun and backpack. I, I don't remember if you mentioned that that's one. That's the other one. That's the fifth one. Yeah. So that's the range bag that both Riley and I currently use. We love that range bag. It's like $180 bag or something like that. So 
Go to the website, concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway, complete the survey, enter that form. I fill out that form so you'll be entered into the giveaway and we will announce those winners here very soon on an upcoming podcast episode. And David comments here, I thought you dressed up for the 200th episode. Snap, <laughs> that would have been a better reason. <laughs> yeah, I could have used that one. Okay, <laughs> so enough of us drumming on and yep. uh, being nostalgic here. I suppose we should play, play back this awesome interview you keep talking about. Yeah, but before we get to that, you know, so this interview came as a result of this horrific uh, mass shooting that, ha- that that occurred on, what was it, October 2nd, I think, of last year, um, or first. It was the night of the first, maybe, and into the morning of the second. Um, but uh, that was that occurred at the uh, uh, Harvest, what was it, the Harvest, Route 91 Harvest Music Festival um, at Mandalay, you know, just right across the street from Mandalay Bay, right? So we all know about that incident. Um, the two individuals interviewed in this, in this interview, uh, were there, they were there with friends, um, and, uh, their life is forever changed because of this, this incident. And we know many lives were lost and many lives were affected for forever because of this as well. Uh, so it's a topic that's difficult to approach, you know, because you want to be respectful, um, and, and I, 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 I think we did that or that I, you know, it was me interviewing Alicia and Derek and I, I hope it comes across as being respectful, but yet trying to get into the meat of, you know, what are the lessons and the takeaways that we can gain from this? Now, we just had this other horrific shooting happen in Florida at the school uh, a couple of days ago. And Jacob, you and I talked before we went live uh, that, uh, you know, we should at least address this and acknowledge it. Um, one thing I wanted to throw out there, and then I want to—I would—I would like to get your quick thoughts, Jacob. I mean, we could obviously go down the the road of the the politics of it, or you know, what we should have guns in every you know teacher's hands across America or whatever, right? You know, like this this sort of thing shouldn't shouldn't happen. It wouldn't happen if if we just armed our teachers and stuff like that. Which, hey, you know what? You you know, if you've been listening a long time, you know that we're in support of that. But I wanted to address just real quick. I see comments from those that say, hey, we might want to try something other than just thoughts and prayers, guys, because clearly thoughts and prayers aren't working. Now, while this podcast, we, we try to stay very middle of the road. I mean, by middle of the road, I mean, we, we, we do our best to be um, focused only on guns and concealed carry, right? And try to not get into too much the politics or even into religious aspects. But um, I'm a big believer in faith and a big believer in prayer. And it irritates me to no end when I hear comments like, your, your thoughts and prayers aren't working. Because to that, I call BS. Uh, and they may not be working in the way that we would expect or that non-believers would expect them to work. See, to it, to to those with doubt or with non-belief or lack of faith, they would they would look at the situation and go, well, because this horrible thing happened, that must mean that prayers and God and all that, it's not working. But that's, that's not what faith's about. That's not what prayers are necessarily about either. And prayers are not always answered or responded to uh, in the way that we would expect. And one thing is, too, even from tragedy, there's always small miracles and blessings that come out of them. And we see that also from this Route 91 Harvest Mandalay Bay shooting, which I think will become evident from listening to this interview with uh, 
Alicia and Derek. Now that interview doesn't go down that road at all. I know I'm, I'm really kind of, I'm, I'm in new territory here on the podcast talking about these things. Uh, I, I certainly respect those that, uh, you know, would, would say that, well, thoughts and prayers, poo whatever, you know, but, but I, I'm a man of faith and uh, I'm going to continue, have, you know, saying my prayers and I'm going to continue having in my thoughts those that have been affected in a dramatic way by these sorts of events. Uh, and I will do everything I can to help and to be there for them. And my commitment remains firm in that I will continue to fight for Second Amendment rights in this country and for the opportunity for everyone to defend themselves from predators such as these. Yeah, um, I'm trying to... I don't want to drag it on and I don't want to just repeat everything you you said, but uh, yeah, you know, we do need to start engaging more in the conversation of what, what would make a difference. And um, I, I did get sucked into a Facebook feed earlier today where I, I, I've been back and forth now with lots of people, but there are things that we can do and we do need to make a change. And, and obviously that change, there's lots of, there's lots of things we, we need to attack humanity itself, right. In terms of, you know, the things that drive people to do such horrible things, but we also need to think a little bit more practically as, as well. Uh, we need to do all that while not infringing on our rights or our ability to defend ourselves. And, you know, that's where the, the drama comes in, right? But um, yeah, I, I think in, in short, you know, prayers and hearts do go out to the people who are affected by these tragedies as they should be. And I do think that helps. I do think that makes a difference, but there are plenty of other things we need to do as well. And uh, we don't want to neglect that conversation. Yep. That's right. Good thoughts. So let's get into it. And I'm sure uh, those of you that are viewing live would uh, are excited to hear this interview. So enough of Jacob and Riley. Now we're, we're going to be present throughout this, uh, this. This is a playback of the interview. Uh, so we'll, we'll kind of sit here silent and listen to it along with you. Uh, I'll be watching the Facebook feed for comments. Uh, we'll be interacting with you there. Those of you that are listening only, Hey, you're going to really enjoy this interview. I think uh, there's a lot of really good stuff that'll come out of it. So enjoy. We'll catch you on the other side for some some brief, you know, conclusion and analysis, and uh, then we'll let you go. But before we get into the interview, I do need to mention uh, that today's episode is made possible by Excess Sites, who was so kind to let us come into their booth at Shot Show to set up for several hours and record interviews such as these. So we thank them. Uh, appreciate them and go check out excesssites.com and their new F8 night sights, which I have on. I'm carrying my Glock 19 right now. It's got the new F8 night sights on it from Excess Sites. They're great sights. Go check them out. Give them a little support and love. Uh, there's appreciation for making this episode today, today possible. And uh, also, today's episode is made possible by a book, a new book written by a good friend of ours and contributor on concealedcarry.com. And that is Annette Evans. She's the author. She's a competitive shooter. Uh, she's passionate about self-defense as well. She's a, a talented instructor, very knowledgeable. And she wrote a book called The Dry Fired Primer, now available, now available for sale through the concealedcarry.com store. So go check out The Dry Fire Primer by Annette Evans in our concealedcarry.com store. Appreciate it so much. All right. So here we go. I'm pulling up the uh, interview from Alicia and Derek. Here it comes. 
Hey folks, it's Riley with the Concealed Carry Podcast. I'm sitting here with Alicia and Derek. And you guys both work for, is it Reno Guns and Range? It is. Yes. Yep. In Reno, Nevada. It's yes. a cool place. I've never been to that range. Oh, but you got to come. I've been through Reno a number of times, just yeah. always. And it's you know, more than just a range. We yep. get everything. Great yeah. training center. Yep. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I, I've kind of followed you a little bit on social. Yep. Uh, I, you know, I'm aware that you're instructors. Uh, you look like you're well qualified. Uh, you teach a lot of. A lot of folks sounds like coming through your your training courses there. Absolutely, we try. So, and Alicia, uh, you've got some affiliation with uh, uh, Ice Training ICE, mm-hmm. Rob Pincus's network there. So does Derek and Derek yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I, that's kind of how I, I I clued in onto who you were mm. was I saw a little video you did on PDM. Yep, and I was like, hey, she's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, like. She, she is pretty cool. <laughs> and she shoots really well. Yeah. You know, and it was shor- shortly after I saw that video that uh, it, this horrific thing happened on October yeah. 1st, mm-hmm. uh, Mandalay Bay. Um, you were both attending the concert there. Yep. Is Correct. that right? Yeah. And uh, so uh, we're going to get into that a little bit. But, you know, that, that all happened. And I remember seeing... On Rob, I think it was Rob posted something saying, "Hey, you know, like this is one of my one of my peeps," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Whoa, hey, you know, this is this is pre- this is pretty crazy." Yeah. Um, and so one things led to another, and here here you are, and here we are here at Shot Show. We're we're hosted, by the way, in the booth at Excess Sites. We're so thankful to them for making the space available to, to produce this uh, episode of the podcast today. So. If it's all right, uh, I'm going to ask first, could you just give us a little bio about yourselves, you know, background, kind of maybe how you got started in the industry or shooting, whatever it is, maybe, you know, your background as an instructor. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start ladies first. So Alicia, right, if, you'd, right, if you'd, right. if you'd go. Um, yeah, well, I, I kind of fell into the industry by way of being a victim. Um, I had had my house robbed a bunch of times, had been assaulted and Really, um, it, it, it started when an officer responded to um, a burglary at my house, and, um, and he said, do you carry a gun? And I said, no, I don't. And he said, you need to because I can only show up after the fact and clean up the mess and do the paperwork. And he said, you're the, your own first responder, so you better figure it out. I love that cop, by the way. Right? right? I was like, oh, roger that. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> now it's on me. So, um, and that, that, that's really how it started. I was like, well, I, I better figure that out. And, um, and so I started training and, you know, absorbing all the information I could. And that just led to um, a combination of my passion for teaching as well. So I paired the two and, and just decided that it was my responsibility now um, to share what I had learned with other people. I've been so fortunate in this industry to be able to train with some of the best in the world. And, um, you know, that's, that's a, a, an opportunity that most people don't get. And so now it was on me to, to share that with others. And that's, you know, seven years later, that's, that's where I'm at. So yeah. love what I do. And, yeah. and this is what you do full-time now? Uh, it's not full-time. Um, I wish it was. Yeah. <laughs> but we know the gun industry is, uh, uh-huh. you know, not where the money is necessarily. So I think like most instructors, we do it for the passion uh-huh. um, and really for um, – the love of, of our fellow citizen and, and just instilling what we can in them. So, um, you know, I, I do it for that. Cool. Yeah. Derek, what's your story, man? Well, I'm a retired police officer from the city of Reno. Did 26 and a half years. So I have law enforcement training. Prior to that, I was in the U.S. Army and Army National Guard from Nevada. I was a flight medic and had medical training. And I worked ambulances also. 
So I got into the gun industry through uh, law enforcement, and I was very fortunate. The Reno Police Department has a great training program. They put tier one training out there to their officers. They really do a great job with that. And the training that we had really helps with everyday life. Um, and then I got into with our RGR, Reno Guns and Range, as an instructor and went through ICE's training and brought myself up to the instructor level. And three years later, I'm still teaching for them on a part-time basis, um, doing other things, but being retired is great. That's, that's <laughs> awesome, man. Cool. Well, I'm sure you saw a lot of crazy things uh, in your career. I have and had uh, the misfortune or fortune however you want to look at it of of seeing some crazy stuff and helping a lot of people yeah yeah well judging by how many times it sounds like she had her house robbed i mean (laughs) (laughs) you would have been responding to some of those calls i imagine it wasn't in reno it wasn't in reno Ah, gotcha gotcha in the great state of california actually so thank goodness you got out of there yeah i did i yeah i migrated to america a couple years ago so (laughs) Okay, California listeners, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We're always getting these emails from listeners. I know. We, we have a huge listenership in California. Hey, I was born and raised there. Yeah. I did my time. I wish it. I wish it hadn't <laughs> taken the time. turn that and that it, it has. It's not yeah. their fault. It's no. their government fault. That and the yeah. people that they elect are putting the laws in place that are restricting their rights and freedoms. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. You know, we're, we're, our thoughts and prayers <laughs> are with those of you in California, and uh, we definitely would love to see things turn around. Um, but it seems like every year, just a yep. little more restriction. I mean, this whole ammunition oh, background yeah. check. Yeah, yeah, all of that this year. Oh, gee whiz. Crazy. But uh, anyway, cool. Awesome. Uh, thank you for that. So you, back in October, the two of you were attending this uh, this concert here, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, do you, I mean, how, how do we begin this? I mean, do, do we start from the beginning, like, the beginning of that evening, or where do you want to begin yeah, with well, this? I mean, so I'd, I'd like to hear the story if that's no, okay. No, actually, sure. before the evening, lunch would be a yeah. great place uh, to start. Yeah. So um, this was actually my first time attending the event, and, and we came down with a group of friends. I think there was about 10, 10 of, of us, us. In, in total. Um, and many of them had been here before and, and all of that. And so we're a couple days into the, the concert, and um, we went out for lunch, and we're sitting outside the New York, New York, actually, ironically enough. Um, we're sitting out there just thinking, um, having a conversation, and, and Derek says, if if there was ever a soft target, this place is one. And um, he said, you know, if wow. I was going to hit it, this is where I'd hit it. And this, I, this is earlier that day. This yeah, is like lunchtime six that hours day. before then, before the shooting. I mean, it was like, yeah. Um, so I, I'm like hearing the Twilight Zone music. Right, and, yeah. Right, yeah. 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 right. exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, fast forward a few hours later, concerts going on. Um, the group that I was with always stays in the same place. Like they kind of have their spot in the venue and, and that's where we were. And, you know, the night went on and we were just about to wrap up. Jason Aldean's on and, um, yep. and Derek had actually, he walked over to the bar, um, that was to the, our left, um, with a, a group of people. And, and I was standing there with the rest of them and we heard what sounded like firecrackers, honestly. And that's what I thought it was. Um, and I looked at a guy next to me, and, and we, he's, he's an Army vet as well, and kind of looked at each other, and I said, oh, d- that sounds like firecrackers. And he goes, yeah. I go, that's not gunfire, which is so bizarre to me because uh-huh. that's what I do for a living, right? right? And it just didn't register. And, and part of that is just your mind tries to find an answer that makes sense in it context. And, and denial. Yeah, and denial, You absolutely. don't expect it in a uh-huh. situation yeah, like that. Yeah, for sure. So um, we kind of watched. Um, it was about 60 feet in front of us, closer to the stage where the initial sound was coming mm-hmm. from. 
So we watched um, to kind of see what was going to happen. My concern was if it was firecrackers, um, there would be trampling or, you know, somebody would panic or something like that. So we kind of watched to see what happened. And then that was the first volley. And then the second volley went off and that group in that same location hit the deck. And I went, something's wrong. Um, and yeah. Derek started coming back from the bar and he looked at me and I go, oh, don't worry, it's not gunfire. And he goes, yes, it is. He's been shot. And the kid in front of me had been shot. Um, and uh, there was another wow. gentleman that ran in front of us had been shot. A girl um, just a few feet in front of us had, had taken a round to the head and, and she didn't survive. Um, in fact, two of them. Um, and so at that point, we just started to, I grabbed the, the people that were nearest to, to us and started moving them to um, the the uh, exit that was nearest us. The problem was um, there was a, a um, media tent and a bar um, set up between us and the nearest exit. And so um, the instinct was to dive under the bar and, and then everybody froze. It became really this bottleneck. Uh, and, and that's kind of like, that's natural human reaction yeah. is they think you can't see me, you can't shoot me. But I, having the training that I, I do, know that bullets can come through those tables. And so then it was a matter of forcing people to continue to move towards the exit. So we actually stood up and threw the tables off of people. So now they felt exposed and they continued to, to go towards the exit. Um, mm. I, I remember looking up and seeing Derek and him facing the gunfire while we were running away from it. And um, I think his... He, he can speak to his experience, but I think his, his instinct was to find the shooter and, and go after him. As a cop, you know, you yeah. run towards the gunfire. Yeah. Um, my job, completely unarmed, was to get people to safety and then, and then go from there. So um, once we got out onto the street, I was out there, um, I think, for about two and a half hours triaging patients, um, getting people loading wounded into to Uber cars and anything that we could do. and Pickup trucks, taxis, anything yeah, that was anything. right. Yeah, so, uh, you know, we were pulling down barricades and making them into stretchers. We, um, I had my IFAC on me. Um, we, at the now, range... How, we, did, how were you carrying that? Yeah, so I had it in my backpack. I actually have it with a, me today. Um, wow. We, we carry them at the range. Um, we have ankle IFACs, which is really cool. So, you, you, you know, they're not super obvious. They're not obstructive or anything mm -hmm. like that. Um, it didn't work with my outfit for the day, so I threw it in my backpack. But I had it, um, which meant that I had chest seals on me. I had tourniquets. I had pressure bandages. I had things like that. So I was able to actually um, assist three different people with just the IFAC that I had. Wow. Which was far more than a lot of people had. So we were improvising. We had belts and shirts and, you know, anything we could find um, to do what we could do. But Wow. Yeah. All right. So now's the time I ask you a few questions. And, and then if you have anything else to add as far as how that night went on, or maybe even the aftermath, I'd love sure. to hear. But uh, can you describe for me about, I mean, you, you, you described a media tent and this bar, but kind of like where is that in relation to, if you're facing this stage, where, where are you guys located at? We're on the west side of the stage, approximately. So that's closer look, to Looking at the stage, it would be stage left, our right. You're, yeah. So the, the center, they had a walkway that comes out from the stage that projected north into the crowd. Then there is the media tent. Um, and the sound booth, and then behind that is a food vendor and a uh, alcohol vendor and drink vendor and water supplier. So we were approximately 75 yards, maybe, uh, maybe. north yeah. of the stage, and about 10 yards to the west of the the vendors. Mm -hmm. So we had a perfect line of sight. Mm. Um, and if if you pull up the uh, Las Vegas Metro PD. Yeah. 
uh, website and look at the report that they just published last week. Mm. It has a picture of the venue, and you can see the stage, and that's looking directly at the stage, so we'd be to the right side of that. We were standing um, right where victims 9 and 10 are. Um, and if you look at that map, unfortunately, all the victim, almost all the victims took fire where we were in our area um, and on that side. Um, there were victims that they found other places because, they, of course, they were evac'd out. But where, where Christiana Duarte, I think is her name, was number nine, and she was right in front of us. Wow. Yeah. I've not had a chance to, to really dive into that report. I mean, I heard when it came out and i wanted to go read up on it but it's been as you can it's imagine it's actually a, crazy a pretty week. interesting read mm-hmm. yeah no, i um i think it's wise that we study these sorts of things and try to get from that well yeah. what, what can we do different what yeah. can we right. learn from this uh so i will definitely be diving into that at some point here but okay so you're basically you're 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 actually closer to the hotel we're on the, the Mandalay Bay right. side. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's about 450-ish yards. Yep. Around, yeah. Yep. 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 Shooting from yeah, an elevated position. some yep. odd hour, uh, mm-hmm. uh, floors up. Yep. Um, it, what, what do you think about the tactic this guy used? You know, had, uh, he was just shooting for chance. Yep. He, he didn't yep. use any tactics. Had he been trained on four... Had he been trained, thank God he wasn't, or had he had a better plan, or had there been more shooters, then we can confirm just the one. Um, There would have been a lot more carnage. Mm -hmm. And for for what he did and how many rounds he shot, very, very minimal death. Unfortunately, there was death. But he could have done such a more violent uh, and aggressive job had he known what he was doing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, if you look at the numbers, there's, I think, 58 casualties. Right. Um, and 700 wounded or right around there, I think, is the number in the report. Yeah. Um, but I think the casualty count, in addition to him not being skilled, but I think the casualty count was really mi- minimized by the crowd that was there. Um, I can tell you that the two and a half hours I was on Guile Street, um, we just sort of self-organized into a triage unit. Um, yeah. And so there was nurses, firemen, um, doctors, uh, EMTs, like anyone with any kind of training, combat vets, everybody just organized and we started triaging and, and, and treating as best we could. And then there was just some big, brave cowboys who were just willing to take fire and move bodies and get people out. And, and I think um, the demographic alone and just who we are as a people um, minimized the casualties dramatically. We yeah. stayed in the fire for, for 10 minutes, directly in fire. In fact, we went back to the site um, two days ago and, um, and we're looking at it and, and we were seeing bullet holes through the fencing where we were triaging patients. So we knew that we were taking fire that whole time. My goodness. Yeah, it's, it, it was, it was a, a pretty big deal. I mean, I've been in shootouts in law enforcement. Uh, unfortunately, I've had to shoot people. I've been in a combat zone with the National Guard. Uh, this was the most chaotic uh, scene that I've ever been in. Of course, you're talking 22,000 people running and, and, and trying to get out and save themselves. I'm, I'm amazed that there wasn't more trampling and people hurt or killed right. from, from the crowd. Well, and, the, you know, that comes up a lot. You know, well, a lot of those casual or those, those injuries were from trampling. We didn't see trampling. And I think my experience, and if we would go back and look at the videos, was every, with every volley, people would hit, hit the, the deck. Ground. And then yeah. there would be a pause and people would move. And then 
you know, so it was this up and down and up and down, which I think kind of regulated that trampling effect that would have it happened. Definitely slowed the crowd mm-hmm. down from just mm-hmm. one mass exodus. Yep. That's an interesting observation, yeah. and I, I now that you explain it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Huh. But what was it like going back to to the scene? I mean, this here we are at Shot Show, a few minutes away. Yeah. I mean, this has got to be pretty difficult. You know, and people asked us about that, about coming down here, if it was going to affect this. And it, to me, it, it, it's part of my life. It, it happened. It was a, a major tragic event, um, and I'm sorry. But it's, now it's kind of a story to me. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've lived through it. He's no longer with us and isn't going to be a problem for anybody anymore. So I can, myself, I can put that behind me. Or put up, I, I like to use an analogy, it's a book. It's a chapter in a book, and I'm putting that book on the shelf, and when I want to revisit it, I can, but I don't have to live it every day. Now, I've got friends who are with us mm-hmm. who are struggling day to day with the event and reliving it and not being able to sleep and, and all kinds of crazy stuff, and I feel for them. Yeah. Um, there's got to be an, an out for them and a way for them to get help, and, and maybe it's a little bit stubborn that they're not reaching out for professional help, um, they feel that's a weakness or that they're just embarrassed about it. But uh, when people have those problems, not everybody can handle that stuff on their own. They need to reach out for a church member, a priest, a, a pastor, a, a psycholo- psychologist, a psychiatrist, whatever they have to do. It's not a sign of weakness. It's to help you get through life. Mm-hmm. What would you say has, has helped you? You know, like obviously things affect people different, in different ways. Uh, why would you say that you're able to, I mean, is it compartmentalization? Is that what you see it as for you? And Alicia and I have talked about this uh-huh. c- continuously since it happened. And I do compartmentalize, but that's what I've done all my adult life as a, as a medic, as a flight medic, and as a law enforcement officer, as a, especially a law enforcement officer. You have to go from defending your life or defending someone else's life and trying to stop someone from doing harm and possibly taking their life. And then as soon as the gunshots stop, you have to render aid to the person that you just shot. You have to right. step up and save their life now. So you have to change roles. And to be able to do that on an instant, you have to be able to compartmentalize. Now, over the long term, um, compartmentalization is not good because we do know at some point everything comes out at once and, and all the feelings and emotions come out and then someone is uh, in a, a crisis state. Uh, but in the short haul, that's the way we do people deal yeah. with it and at yeah. least in the professions that i that i know and, and military people yeah. and stuff so yeah for sure and I, I you know i had a different experience um in fact i came back and and i requested the same room that i stayed in last time at the oh, hotel wow. um and they were kind enough to accommodate i needed to go back and sort of validate what i saw and i heard and smelt and felt and and all of that um because some of it in your mind, you, you kind of question, is that really what I saw? Is that really what happened? Um, and, and so I needed to do that. And that was, that was sort of how I started to deal with it. But it is interesting because um, we are all dealing with it very differently. And um, though I don't have the same kind of training that Derek does, I do have a whole nother level of training. And I do have TCCC and, and, and I had some medical training and things like that. So I, when people ask me about the event, they often think that I should be traumatized by certain things that I wasn't actually traumatized by, and I was, I was bothered by other things that, that didn't stick with other people. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how we, we all deal with it from our own perspective and, and given our own training and background and, and that sort of a thing. But, um, 
it's, it's been um, definitely interesting to come back and, and look at it in the daylight, honestly, and, and um, just kind of see it for what it is. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Now, when you first heard the uh, gunshots, I don't know if everybody realizes this, what you were hearing more than anything, mm-hmm. and especially first, is rounds impacting pavement, right? You, hear, you could hear both. Yeah. But the, right, sure. <laughs> excuse me. The first initial uh, three-round burst uh, was the popping of it hitting the ground. Yeah. Uh, and then when the s- speed bump fire was uh, shot, I didn't want to say automatic yeah. fire because yep. it wasn't automatic, but when the rapid fi- succession of fire and rounds were fired off, um, then you could hear the report from the gun and then the skipping. Yeah. And yeah. the skipping was actually first before yep. the report from the gun. The report right. from the gun. And then you had an echo after that because the Mandalay Bay is a V-shaped. Mm-hmm. And then across the street behind the venue, you have um, Flamingo, the MGN's up too. there. Yeah, and yeah. You, have, you have three other hotels out there. So you've got the, sh- the rounds impacting targets, the ground, whatever it's hitting, trailers, metal mm-hmm. pipes, uh, gas tanks. Yeah. And then you have the report from the gun itself, and then you have echoes also. Yeah. And then you put in yeah. the helicopter, the tourist helicopters going over, people screaming. I mean, it was, it was pretty chaotic. Pretty chaotic. Yeah, and, and really, I, I can say from my own experience, the only thing I could really discern was the direction that the fire was coming Absolutely. from. That was it. I mean, and, and mm. it was interesting to me that um, was it that clear to you? Well, so that's the thing is initially I thought it was firecrackers, right? And then right. as soon as we realized it was gunfire, I just knew that it was coming from, from our right where we were standing. And, and, um, and so we went left. Um, and we just knew that the, it, it wasn't coming from behind us or in front of us, just instinctually for whatever reason. Even given all of those factors, we knew the direction it was coming from. I, at, the point, at that point, didn't know, and I don't think anybody did, that it was an elevated shooter at all no. but in fact i think derek was looking for a street level shooter um i was i was you know i was separated from my group with some strangers um and we were ordering drinks and the first three rounds went off and they said oh fireworks and i said i've been here every year since this event started they don't do fireworks it's too big of a crowd for fireworks and then uh the volley st- the volley came the next volley and a gentleman ran by a young man with that was shot in the shoulder and i said he shot that's gunfire, and I turned around, and the three guys I was with were gone. They took off running as soon as they yeah. saw this kid that was shot. And then I went back to the group, and I said, we got to go with that's gunfire. And we had a little couple-second discussion about what it really <laughs> was, and then the girls fell down in front of us, and I said, see, it's time to move, and we all moved. Yeah. Wow. And at, at that point, I knew it was coming from the southwest of our location, which is the Mandalay Bay. But in my mind... You, and in most people's mind, being a street cop, even in the military, you're thinking ground-level attack. You're not thinking yeah. sniper, especially in a civilian setting like this. So I was looking ground-level for someone that came in off the street with a, with a rifle or yeah. something, and I couldn't see it. We started backing out, and we got bottlenecked up at the, the bar trailer and went right through the bar trailer and yeah, forced did. people out. Um, but we got pinned down myself and another guy that was in our group, and w- that's when he, we took shrapnel and my phone got hit. I took shrapnel in the arm. Yep. Wow. Um, he took a, a round that skipped off a, um, the trailer into his arm. Um, and we were holding girls down. And then as soon as the round stopped, I picked the girls up and threw them, mm-hmm. basically, through the trailer. And then I got up on my knees 
on all fours and I was scanning the crowd and my partner's like, what the heck are you doing? And I said, I'm looking for the guy because I'm going to go get him. And he said, you don't have a gun. And I said, no, I don't, but I can delay him from hurting or, or killing someone else. And that was my whole mindset. Yeah. Wow. And you, you told me that before we began uh, recording here, Alicia, you said he went in, yep. I went out, yep. I was triaging, he went to find the shooter and, and you just couldn't even imagine that this guy was... You know, 30-plus nope. floors up right, no, in that building. No, and if you watch the police video um, that came out, too, it took them quite a while to figure out that it was elevated as well. And how they did was there was an officer sitting back by the triage yep. area with binoculars in his car, and he looked, was scanning the mandolin. And he saw the windows, and he could see a shadow in there, but he couldn't see the report of the gun because... Yeah. He said he saw know. smoke, but he didn't see muzzle flash. But he's the one, I, as far as I understand, who identified that it was an elevated position. Right. So it, it, it was pure chaos, and nobody expected mm-hmm. it, and nobody knew where it was coming from. Mm. And, you know, yeah. Wow. Now tell me a little, uh, tell me a little bit more about kind of the, the, the triage port of, part of it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned you were carrying an IFAC, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is fantastic. Absolutely. Um, I, Everyone should. Absolutely. Uh, you know, on the podcast, listeners know I've been carrying an ankle IFAC, like you described, for a long time. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, it goes everywhere I go. Good. And uh, so, you you said you were able to use items from your IFAC mm-hmm. on three different individuals. Yep. Is this to where, I mean, you potentially save these people's lives because of having those items, or you at least bought them some time? Yeah. Um, so, I... Um, I know that I used a, one of my um, one of the SWAT T tourniquets that I have um, on a gentleman's arm. I don't think that I saved his life, but um, because he was actually, I think he was an EMT because he recognized what it was, and he he was like, "Why do you have that?" I said, "I carry it with yeah. me," and he said, "Put it on." Wow! <laughs> and I did, and he goes, "And and you know how to use it?" And I was like, "Yes." Now get out of here. Um, wow. But I, he was definitely bleeding profusely from the arm. Whether it saved his life, I have no idea, but mm-hmm. it helped, right? That's um, amazing. And then um, used a pressure, pressure bandage on another um, woman who was shot through the calves. Um, she, it actually went through both of her calves. And so we used an Israeli bandage um, mm-hmm. to go around her calves and, and lock that down. And mm-hmm. then um, there was another young lady who had been shot through her chest. And when I arrived, there was, there was two guys with her putting pressure on the entry and exit wounds. And um, it was a young man with her. And, and I said... Um, I said, is, is it sucking? Is it a sucking chest wound? And he said, yeah. And I said, I have a chest seal. Let's put it on her. So I put the chest seal on her. And then I, I happened to have a, um, attention pneumothorax needle with me and I left it with him, um, because it wasn't a vented, um, chest seal. So he would have to use that if, if that became an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, three people, and it, it goes That's amazing. in seconds. You know, I was like, right. at that point, then we're looking around for more. There was one ambulance um, on the scene that was there kind of, I think, just um, on standby for the end of the night. And so we raided that, you know, went in and, and got everything that we could out of there. And mm-hmm. then it became using belts and shirts and whatever we could. Necklaces. <laughs> right. Yeah. My buddy, when I was evacuating him. Uh, the one that was shot in the arm with ricochet in the arm. Uh, we were walking, he was bleeding profusely from the arm and couldn't stop the bleeding with direct pressure. So we were walking by a vendor, running by a vendor, and they had necklaces. I asked them for a belt, and there were three of them crying inside, and they didn't even respond. So I grabbed some necklaces off a rack and 
put it up on his arm, and as I twisted, it just shattered. It was leather necklaces, so I thought maybe it would have some strength to it, but mm. it didn't. So yeah. through that, and then I found a roll of paper towel and just stuck that on his arm, and he held that in position. I got him out the gate and then yeah. went back in. So people were using everything they could find. Um, T-shirts, people were taking their shirts off and helping people and their belts off, and it, it was pretty good um, on, the, on the street level. And inside, there was, there was about 15 of us that went back in, and Metro was doing their thing, uh, securing and, and looking for the shooter. And uh, There was about 15 of us. We went around under the venue, under the trailers, under everything, getting people out, people that were shot, carrying them out, um, unfortunately declaring some people deceased and make, leaving them on, in position because that's now a crime scene. Um, but there, there was good work inside with it, too. We just didn't have the equipment to treat people inside. So our priority yeah. was getting them yeah. from the scene out to a safe area where the, where the responders were that could treat them. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of the things we've, we've talked, you know, kind of um, after action, really, and said, what could we do better? What, what would have changed some things? Mm -hmm. um, and I think we were talking earlier today, uh, you know, it, everywhere we go now, there's AED machines, you know, for heart attacks. And there's... Um, fire extinguishers everywhere we go. Why are we not having bleeding control stations at venues like that? It would be so easy yeah. and cost effective to just put a, a, a small station that contains tourniquets and, and bleeding control materials, pressure bandages, gauze packing, things like that. It's cheap and you could put it at every exit. Um, you know, and and like, if, if more people had IFACs. Right. I mean, it, most people don't think that. Most people don't even have first aid kits in their vehicles. And how many times do you drive down the road and you see an accident or you see someone fall off a bicycle, a kid or that could use a Band-Aid or, or some gauze or something? Yep. And we don't even carry that stuff in our cars. I mean, no. if more people took the time to get some simple first aid training, some very basic stuff, and then had a kit accessible to them in their car, an IFAC that they yep. could carry in their purse, in their, in their pocket, on their, yeah. on their ankle or something, it, it would make it much easier. But most people don't think that way and don't prepare for stuff. And most people think... It's never going to happen to me. It's, it's their problem. It's not going to be my problem. It's true. It's true. Most but, people are in denial. But a venue like that, um, you know, I, I don't see a reason why they shouldn't have something like that. I, there's so many different scenarios where you could have a mass casualty event. A car could have run through the crowd. You know, yeah. anything could have happened. Um, there could have been a fire. There could have been anything um, that that would have necessitated that. And, and I think it's just one of those things that we need to really start considering um, just as a, a public, a public safety thing, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's so true. Uh, this is just fascinating listening to you uh, describe all this to me. And I, I do appreciate you so much. Um, I'm curious now also too about, were there any sort of, I guess, acts of heroism, you know, stories, you know, that things that you witnessed that you'd like to share? You know, it was, for me, it was, it was, there were so many of them. Yeah. Um, there were, like I said, there was just so many, I, I just have these images of these great big brave cowboys, you know, and they, all they could do was carry bodies that, but that was their way, you know, and, and yep. they, we were loading them in trucks and people who didn't know each other. Um, I give all the Uber drivers full credit because at the end of the night, they were lined up, I believe, on Giles Street. And um, there, was a, there was a police unit at the end of Giles and one at um, the end of Reno and Giles at that intersection. So there was no cars coming through there, but the Uber drivers had lined up. And after the shooting, we were trying to evac people and we couldn't. So we opened up that street um, and had them come in. And, you know, Uber requires you have newer, nicer cars, right? Yeah, yeah. And these guys were pulling up in, in 
Cadillacs and, you know, and, and BMWs and, and, you know, they're like, put them in, put them in. And we're like, wow. people are covered in blood. You know, these cars were destroyed. Um, and, and they didn't even hesitate. You know, we were putting as many people in there as we could. We were putting them in trunks. We were, you know, they're dri- people were driving down the street with, with a guy in the trunk with somebody holding pressure on him, you know, 80 miles an hour trying to get him to the hospital. It was heroism everywhere. I, there was. Uh, people s- stood up for this event. It was pretty amazing to see that many people come together to help each other and help people that they didn't even know. Um, inside, getting people out that. There, there was retired law enforcement. There were retired firefighters. Uh, there was one guy that I doubled up with who was a uh, Marine Corps uh, veteran. Mm-hmm. He, he got out of the Marine Corps, young kid. Um, and we all just worked together. And none of us had to do it, but we all were there because that's what we did. That's, yeah. that's, that's our instinct to help the other person. Um, none of us would call us her- heroes, at, not even to each other, because we just did what we did, what... What we would expect people to do for us, um, unfortunately, not everybody's wired that way and, and can do that. Every animal on the planet runs away from gunfire, except for human beings that are trained, your military, your law enforcement, and they run towards yeah. it. Yeah. So it, it's unfortunate that these things happen, um, but God bless the, the first responders out there that do their job. Yeah. You know, you, you ask about heroes and again. Um, Metro stepped up. They did a great job. Of course, their focus is a different focus to contain and stop it from continuing, and they did that well. They didn't get in people's faces. They weren't unduly um, overbearing, which very easily happened in a situation like that when you're excited and and you're emotional. Um, And I saw nothing but professionalism from them. The medics, the same thing. And they're not going to run into that situation to put themselves at harm until it's stabilized, and that's where the civilians stepped up and brought those people outside to get the help. Yeah. Mm. Yep. But, you know, I've said it before. I think that's just, uh, I think, I don't know that it's unique to America, but I think that's just the American way. Um, And especially in that crowd, we just, we don't, we don't leave anybody behind. And and we didn't. Um, I know Derek and others were in there making sure there was nobody left behind. Yeah. Um, And we spent hours out in the street making sure nobody was left behind. Um, And that included the deceased. Um, I can tell you after... The scene was completely clear. There was two, um, there was two deceased um, that we had out on Guile Street, um, and I can tell you that there was care taken to make sure that they were put in a respectful place, um, that they were handled respectfully. Um, and I remember, I remember walking up. There was a young lady who had had passed on the corner of Guile's, and there was a guy holding her hand. And I, I came up and I said, "Is she okay?" And he said, "No, she's dead." And I said do you know her? And he said, no, but I'm not, I'm not leaving her. And he just held her hand. That's, that's who we are. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes an event like that to remind us of who we are. It takes the worst to bring out the best in in people. And it's unfortunate, but uh, you, you, we can go back through the years since 9-11 and the worst events bring out the best in Americans. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if we're all country fans or rock fans or gun you know gun carriers second <laughs> amendment people um we all bond together yep. that's what this nation's about yeah to wrap it up <clears throat> what lessons learned if any do you have for yourselves uh from a more individual level as far as things that you going forward are going to change in your life or ways that you've been impacted that will cause you to to do things differently 
And also, what do you see as maybe some lessons learned for uh, us as a you know, as a community or as a culture or as a society? Um, I think for me, um, I came home to I have a fourteen year old daughter who um, I was trying to communicate with that night, and so she was very traumatized, not knowing if her mom was alive. And I came back, and and she was scared to death. And mm. um, and what I said to her was. Um, you know, we're not going to let the bad guys decide what we do in life because the minute we do, they win. So we're going to, we're going to pick ourselves up and we're going to continue living the way that we live. And we, we've been to concerts since that, since then we've been in, you know, conventions like this that are potentially targets like that. Um, and sometimes I have to remind myself that, that he doesn't get to win. Um, he, he, he made a dent and he, he did some damage, but he doesn't get to take away um, my happiness or, or any of ours. You know, that's, that's the American way. It, yeah. You don't get to take that from us. So for me, it's, maybe it's a little rebellious, but um, it hasn't changed how I live my life. Um, it has reinforced a lot of the things that I've, I've trained for, a lot of yeah. the things that I've believed. Um, it did remind me to always check my exits and, and have a way out and Absolutely. have a plan. And we, we talk about that all the time, you know, like if it went down again right now, what would you do? Yep. You know, most um, people don't, they know they came in one way and that's the way out. They right. don't look for other escape routes. Yeah. Yep. Like, like exit doors just right, yep. right here. But like a restaurant, if something happens in a restaurant, where do you go? Most people are going to yeah. go out the front, right. go into the kitchen. There's always a fire escape from right. the kitchen. Right. Yeah. That's why James yep. Bond runs through the kitchen <laughs> in every movie. Yeah. Good point. Yep. You know, so. but, but it happened at the venue too. So it happened yeah. that night. Right. Is people went back to gate three, which is where we came in. So we're creatures of habit, right? And so they were like, I came in that way. I'm going back out that way. And uh, for me, that was potentially a fatal funnel. I wasn't going to go Absolutely. back that way. Um, and so I had to go to the nearest exit. That's my training. And I wish more people had that kind of training. Um, Another thing, besides the awareness, which is major important, but like in my case, my phone took two rickshaws mm. into the phone. So I had no That's communication crazy. with anybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hours later, I couldn't call anybody because I don't remember anybody's phone number. We're so dependent on our yep. computers and our phones. Mm -hmm. All the information is contained there. So when my phone was down, the only person I could call was my ex-wife <laughs> because that's the only phone number I can remember besides my childhood phone numbers. Uh -huh. So I had to call her and tell her, hey, call the, call the kids who live in Utah and tell them that I'm okay because everyone knew I was there. But then I couldn't get a hold of Alicia. Yep. And I couldn't get a hold of anybody in our party until I, it took me about three hours after I left the scene to walk down the strip over to the highway, down the shoulder of the highway, and then back into the Excalibur. And then I couldn't get in the door because I didn't have my ID or my uh, room key because yep. they were in Alicia's backpack. Yep. So, and did you have any idea where she was at at that point? I did not. Nope. Yeah. I did so you not. completely lost contact. Yeah, and with it yep. took me six hours yeah. to get back to the room uh, because of various things. So it was it was a, mm. a really <laughs> stressful night. So to me, one thing to take away is people should have a list of phone numbers in their wallet, in their purse, or whatever of the important phone numbers that yep. they need to call because in, under stress, you're probably not going to remember the ones that you do remember. But most people don't even remember them anymore because they have them on automatic dial as contacts in their phone. Um, look for the exits and be aware of your surroundings be aware of where a first aid station is an aed because maybe maybe it's a total peaceful venue and someone has a heart attack but you need to know where the equipment is firemen are very lucky because no matter where a fireman goes off duty he's got his equipment there because there's fire extinguishers and there's fire suppression systems and medical kits somewhere in offices law enforcement 
civilians who are into protection and self-defense, we can't take our tools with us all the time. This venue, we couldn't bring firearms. Not that it would have done any good. It would have done more harm. Because yeah. um, that's a question I was asked. What would you have done? Would you have pulled your gun? Well, I'm a civilian. Now I've got a gun. And there's right. gunshots. I'm a target. Right. So that would be the worst thing to do. Um, yep. So, but Plus, you had no idea where the threat absolutely. was. Absolutely. Yeah. And even, you, you even if I could have identified them up, up there, I, <laughs> yeah. a handgun's not going to reach 350 yards, 450 yards, yeah. three, 30 stories Accurately. high. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'm going to hit other windows and yeah. potentially hurt yeah. other people. So Such it's an very limited on what you can do. Even for, even for a seasoned sniper, mm-hmm. military, or law enforcement to take a shot from a surrounding building into the Mandalay and hit that target without over-penetration into another room, too dangerous of a situation. I don't think they would have been able to pull it off. Right. Yeah. Wow. Um. Uh, it's just, just like I'm, I'm sitting here, and you know, you, it's a lot probably, of information. You probably have noticed. I, you know, you say some things to me, and I just sort of sit and pause because I'm like, whoa, you know, yeah. mind blown. Uh, hearing it firsthand too from you both, which has just uh, been very humbling. Um. Clearly, folks should get more training. Yep. Um, and we're not just talking about firearm training. We're talking about medical. Yeah. Medical, um, simple tactics, uh, right. how to protect yourself without yeah. firearms. And, you know, yep. right now, um, uh, the, the, there's almost every um, uh, uh, emergency medical pro- uh, program in the country is offering bleeding control. Um, that's a huge thing right now. There, you can take a class with us at Reno Guns and Range for 30 bucks. So you can do it with Remza up there. You can do it down here in Las Vegas. You can or do it with the American Red Cross. The Red Cross. Yeah. And, you know, it's like a four-hour class, and you can learn how to do all of this stuff. And, and I, you know... You don't have to be a doctor to save a life. Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and if you can save someone from bleeding out in three minutes, why would you not want that, that kind of training and that information? So. And also, what we haven't addressed is... You may have to treat yourself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So yep. if you don't have the medical training, you don't think you, you're going to treat someone else anyway, you may not treat someone else, but you may have to treat yourself. Yep. So you need to have at least a basic medical training. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Training. Yep. Carry some gear. Yep. Tourniquets. Yep. Quick clot. Yep. Pressure bandages, whatever. Yep. Right? And I haven't been to a venue yet that doesn't allow you to bring that in. Oh, yeah. And my IFAC, we fly with them. Yep. So and, and that's got a rescue cutter in it. It's got all my stuff in it. Um, and it goes right through TSA. Not a problem yeah. in my carry-on. I'm, I'm curious. What, yeah. do you, what do you have in your IFAC? Um, right now, I have a soft T-wide tourniquet, a SWAT T. Um, I have uh, some combat gauze, um, chest seals, an emergency cutter, um, duct tape, and gloves. And that all awesome. goes on my ankle. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I carry all that except for the duct tape. Yeah. Yeah. Duct tape's great though. See, it I'm is. cooler because can I can it. actually make a second chest seal out of the wrapper and duct yeah. tape. So she's MacGyver. See? You can do that. I got four <laughs> chest seals. <laughs> no, that's, that's awesome. And, and which what which uh, ankle rig are you using to, to carry all that? It, it's the what which one is it? It's um from Ollie. It's you the, have it right. It's oh, over it's there. Over there. <laughs> um, Frog Pro? Yeah, Frog Pro. Yeah, yeah, Sorry okay. about that. Same one that Sorry, uh, Mr. Ollie. Pincus uh, Yeah, exactly. Uses. Same yeah. one. Yeah. Exactly. Alessandro Padmini. Yep. yep. Awesome. Yeah, and That's it's fantastic. Great. It's super comfortable. It's lightweight. You can pack a ton of gear in there. It's awesome. Great. Yeah. And it's not cumbersome. No. Training. Yep. Some gear. Yep. Gear that you can take anywhere. Yep. 
And uh, emergency contacts. Yeah. Other than your yep. phone. That was a great tip, by the way. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and uh, awareness. And awareness, and you, you know, know awareness is such strategy. a hard thing to to really focus on. And, and we always say, be aware of your situation, yeah. be aware of your surroundings and stuff. But put yourself at a concert. You're drinking. You're with friends. You're partying. Right. So what is your real awareness level? In that context, I would say awareness is look at your surroundings and how to get out before stuff happens. Yep, absolutely. Because once yep. once it happens, as we found out during that, it's too late. Yep. You go into crisis panic mode. You don't think rationally. I mean, there's the, the video of the guy standing in the middle drinking a beer and flipping off everybody right. from running away. <laughs> I mean, you don't think rationally in those situations. Maybe that is his rational thought process. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, certainly when people are dropping around you and, and running, that, that's yeah. not an appropriate response. So yeah. maybe alcohol had something to do with that. I mean, not, not out of the realm. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a fine line between being aware and being paranoid, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, I think a lot of people are afraid to, like, invest in awareness because they're afraid they're going to be paranoid, which is kind of a weird mm-hmm. paradox. But it's it's not about that at all. It's just about sort of doing your mental checklist when you walk into a place, you know, and, and, and then you can carry on with your life. You've kind of done that. So I think it's it's important and not enough people do it. Yeah. Wow. Is there anything we failed to cover or missed? I don't think so. No, I think we covered a, a <laughs> we lot. We covered a lot. We did, for sure. But, you know, I... I, I I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad to talk to you about this. I'm glad that we're doing it in Vegas. I think that's really important. Um, and I'm glad this is going to get out to a, a yeah. large, a large uh, audience of people to make them think about this stuff. I yeah. really, truly hope that, you know, if, if one person learns happens, something out of this podcast yeah. and, and yep. gets to survive something unfor- unfortunate, uh, it's definitely I hope it saves it. a life. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, Folks, go check out Reno Guns and Range. Uh-huh. Go check out Alicia Ketter, Derek C- Cecil. Yes. Uh, fantastic trainers. Obviously, you've got some experience now, unfortunately, to back up some of that. But that's a powerful thing right there, yeah. too, where you can speak with authority on uh, many of these things we've covered here today. So. Absolutely. The training that we do it would played in that night. It, yeah. Yeah, no absolutely. doubt. No doubt. So that's amazing. It's battle-tested. Yeah. Unfortunately and fortunately. So. Well, I'm glad you, you're doing great. Uh, and uh, do let us know if there's anything we can do to help. Sounds good. Great. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Riley. Thanks, Riley. Well, there you go. Uh, that wraps up the interview portion that I did together with Alicia and Derek. Uh, they're on the floor of SHOT Show 2018 at XS Sites booth. Um, Jacob, I'm going to pass it over to you because I feel like I just listened to me talk a, a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and honestly, that was the first time I've heard that interview. Uh, so that was that was remarkable, and I appreciate you know what they said about the sacrifices that were made by so many people, from first responders to attendees uh, to the Uber drivers, right? And just kind of the you know, the American way of coming together and and doing what needs to be done. So I think that's always reassuring and and gives you a little bit of sense of pride and comfort, um, you know, in the midst of of some of these tragedies. So that's really appreciated. And I've seen some comments from listeners both today and previously who say that their favorite episodes are these, the ones where they hear people who have been in these situations. And this kind of got me thinking that one of the most interesting things about our industry is that we're constantly uh, preparing for something that most of us will never, ever have to be involved in. 
uh, which is not a bad thing necessarily if, if we're never involved with these things. But because we can't test uh, theories and we can't, you know, live test things, it, it kind of puts us in that situation where we're desperate to hear from people who have been in those environments so that we can get just that, that golden nugget of information that'll help us be a little bit uh, more likely to survive. So um, very, very appreciative to Alicia and Derek for being part of this. And, and you know, we have a handful of episodes like this in the podcast, and we'll try and have more of them. Absolutely. I was glad you brought it up, Jacob, The probably one of my favorite things of this interview uh, that, that just sort of brought it to light because I don't know that I would have been aware of it or that I would have noticed or that I would have even learned about it. But when she talked about these Uber drivers and guys like just just trashing their vehicles so they could save people's lives. I mean, that's, that's huge. Um, and that's so powerful to hear, you know, that even in tragedy, there's amazing things that happen and people step up to the plate. Uh, they put themselves out there. Uh, isn't it Alicia and Derek, just amazing, two amazing individuals uh, as far as also what they did. I mean, Derek being so willing to put himself out there to go back to find, you know, to try to find people and assist and put himself in further harm's way. Alicia, you know, really stepping up and, and making sure that, uh, that she helped people around her, that she, she had that. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I wonder, if there was anyone else there attending that concert that night that had an IFAC on them, I suppose there, there probably was or could have been, but I mean, that's just amazing. You go to a concert, most people, I mean, but most people aren't probably like you and I, you know, where that's, that's at the forefront of their mind, you know, this uh, need or desire to be prepared and to have things like that because you, you never know what's going to happen. And I know that no one could have even imagined this shooting happen, happening the way it did. And, uh, but, but still, I mean, I just, I just find that remarkable. Uh, I, I, I basically already was carrying an IFAC on me on a daily basis on my ankle. Uh, I, I shared in the, uh, on the chat on Facebook, you know, folks were asking about that and Alicia and Derek both talked about the uh, frog pro one, which is great. That's a, uh, I actually been planning on, on trying to get a hold of one of those for some time and, and trying one of those out the wilderness tactical, uh, ankle IFAC I've been carrying for, well, ever since, uh, the NRA carry guard expo, that's where I actually picked it up directly from, uh, wilderness tactical. They had a booth there and I was, you know, I, I picked it up and been, that's been on my ankle ever since. Uh, now I'm to the point where I'm like, I should be carrying more tourniquets <laughs> and stuff. I mean, it, it's crazy and it's, uh, and it's serious business. Um, you know, there's only so many you can carry on you at, at one time though, unfortunately. So, uh, at least within reason. So that, that, that wraps up the, pretty much the show for today. I, I just, I really hope you all got something from this. Uh, there's lots of nuggets of, of great information and knowledge that came from this interview. Uh, you know, reinforcing the need for being aware of your surroundings, being mindful of exits and exit strategies, uh, being mindful of points of, you know, places of cover. Um, just, just so much that comes from this that reinforces so much that we share, uh, you know, on the podcast on a weekly basis. Uh, be prepared, get more training, get more diverse training. It's all in there. Mm -hmm. Riley, will you make sure you put in the show notes today, 
links to the ankle IFAC that, uh, that Alicia said she, she uses and also the one that you use, the Wilderness Tactical. Um, and I think that that might be a good thing for people to be considering, you know, as a, as a major takeaway, you know, as you know, at very least having something like that in your car, you know, which Derek mentioned, you know, how many times do you pass a, a car accident or what are, you know, what are the odds of being or involved in a car accident? So let's, let's make sure that, that that'd be another one of our major takeaways from this interview. Absolutely. Now, it will be in the show notes uh, for sure. So uh, once again, thank you to Access Sites for uh, their part and role in, in, in this, for making uh, this all possible. Uh, and also our other sponsor, as we mentioned, uh, uh, we have for sale now in our online store, concealedcarry.com, the uh, Dry Fire Primer book written by our friend Annette Evans. Go check it out. I appreciate your support of, of all those that make this, this show possible. And uh, appreciate Alicia and Derek uh, for their time. Uh, it was great. I enjoyed my time with them, even though it was very a very humbling uh, 45 minutes that we sat down and, and talked. Uh, remind, one last call, too, to, to remind you about the uh, giveaway that we are, we are doing right now. Uh, your opportunity to win one of five great prizes. We're giving over $1,200 worth of stuff away as our 200th episode giveaway. Uh, go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway and uh, fill out a brief survey. Let us know what you think of the podcast. Give us your feedback and uh, then it'll take you right away to where you can drop in your name and email address for a chance to win one of those five great prizes. And many of those prizes will be critical if you don't already have them uh, to, you know, furthering your training and your ability uh, to, uh, Hope may perhaps respond or save someone's life one day. So go check out that that survey and that giveaway. We'll be announcing the winners on Tuesday's episode. Is that right, Jacob? You're yeah, on. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you actually have until midnight of Monday. Uh, what is that? February 19th. So midnight of February 19th. That's this coming Monday. You have until midnight to get into that, that link. Uh, concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway and fill that out so you can be a part of the drawing come Tuesday in our 201st episode of the Concealed Carry Podcast. And also one other thing, we interviewed and I recently shared on the podcast the interview I had with Jeff Gonzalez, also at Excess Sites booth. And he, uh, I know Guardian Nation members have been <laughs> waiting on this for some time. We appreciate all of your patience. Uh, that is going to be Tuesday night, this coming Tuesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. We will finally get uh, uh, Jeff Gonzalez. He's been working on it for a couple of weeks. Uh, he's agreed to come on for our Guardian Nation Live, our live broadcast event that we typically have been doing on a one, you know, one per month basis. Uh, we missed uh, a month or two there through the holidays and whatnot. But uh, Jeff Gonzalez, join us Tuesday evening, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Guardian Nation members, uh, you can go into your dashboard uh, under uh, GN Live. Click on that button, and the, the link will be there for you to uh, join that live broadcast. And that'll be fun. So we look forward to having you there as well. So with that, it's time to sign off. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate you being a part of our 200th episode celebration. Be safe. Take care. Train hard. You know all that jazz. And we will catch you next time.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.